Welcome to the Journey Visions podcast special episodes, The Journey Entrepreneurs. This special episode interviews Journey participants who have founded a project that was institutionalized. We would like to know about how the process was formed from the idea to the establishment, how they scaled up, how they kept the project going, etc. The goal is to inspire others to pursue their projects and scale them up as well and keep their engagement going. Today, we're going to talk about Giordano Magaglio. He studied global governance in Rome and disaster risk management and climate adaptation in Lund. He also founded an initiative called Ostia Cleanup, a hub for young creative environmentalists that are united to fight plastic pollution and climate change. At the moment, Giordano is working with the United Nations Development Program, UNDP, in Istanbul as a disaster risk management contractor. Some of the things he does there are identifying innovative business recovery solutions for earthquake scenarios in Istanbul and other related challenges, for example, COVID-19 projects, earthquake mitigation. In his personal life, he is in love with pizza and had a pizza almost every night of his adult life. Also, he loves reading, writing, and watercolors though he describes himself as not too good at it, in contrast to his artistic family members. If Giordano would be a Spice Girl, he would probably be Sporty Spice, since he practices karate, surfing, snowboarding, among other adrenaline-based sports. If this wasn't enough, ladies, he can also play the piano, but as you cannot travel with the piano, he is now practicing ukulele. <laughs> We will talk with him about his life, community, environmental activism, and Ostia Cleanup. Welcome, Giordano. Wow, thank you, Lumi, for the amazing introduction. Um, you, make me feel, you make me feel better than I actually am, but thank you for your kind words, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast episode, and congratulations for the amazing work that you've been keeping doing even after the end of the journey, and it's incredible to see how far I've gotten so congrats. Thank you, Giordano. <laughs> well, what I uh, just realized is that I forgot to introduce ourselves. So I am Leonie from the Trondheim Helsinki journey, and I'm here with my wonderful colleague, Leah. Maybe you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Leah, and I'm from the Dublin-Edinburgh-London journey, shortly Dublona. Yeah, welcome again also from me, Giordano Mantagillo, Jackie. That was my not pleasure. correct. <laughs> I tried to practice, but Jalio. <laughs> so you are in Istanbul, Giordano. How is the weather? So actually at the moment I find myself in Rome because uh, I came over uh, last month for the summer, but I'll be back to Istanbul in a, in a couple of weeks. I was just uh, spending some time in Italy because the weather is much better over here. So the summer is still long. Uh, whereas in Istanbul, they told me that temperatures are getting chiller and chiller. So I'll be waiting for a couple of weeks before getting back there. Rome is also a beautiful city. Um, but that is the right place to be. You love pizza, you said. So I guess that is the place to be to eat pizza. But what do you think about pineapple pizza? Do you say yes uh, or no? That, that makes me very angry and very racist. <laughs> um, no, actually, I was also a pizza chef in, in Sweden. Um, and I was obliged to follow the orders of my employer. Uh, and that included not only pizza with pineapple, but also pizza with banana. And that was, I was about to fire myself, uh, but then I just, I, I need the money. <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh it's God. amazing. You really have a lot of different skills. Um, now we would like to get to know you a little bit better um, as a person. So um, I would like to ask you to describe a childhood dream that you had or describe what you were dreaming of when you were small and maybe how it developed over time if, if there's still a dream you think about when you, when you nowadays um, strive for your career or if it's never have been any specific dream. Mm -hmm. That's a very nice question because nobody ever asked me that for a very long time. Um, but I remember that as a child, I had mainly two aspirations. One uh, was to become a magician. Uh, I was very passionate about magic tricks and you know illusionist kind of things. Uh, and the other one was to become um, a chef. So I would say that the latter was partially achieved through my pizza bakery skills. And the first one, for some time, I was I was enjoying doing some, you know, tricks with the cards or uh, things like that. But then I just gave up at some point. But then after I started college, my my dream kind of entirely changed because I discovered this word of natural disasters that as a child, you only see as something um, almighty and all powerful that you cannot do anything to cope with. Uh, but then I discovered that there's actually things that you can do to make things better. So from that point, I realized that that was my new dream that I wanted to cherish. Actually already also very adult um, thinking about helping others and maybe also thinking about catastrophic scenarios. Um, that is very quick that you de developed already uh, a very thoughtful thinking. Could you picturize this dream somehow that you just described for us? <laughs> um, well, you know, sometimes I think about it as a sort of uh, Marvel DC superhero kind of character that you go around because what excites me about his job is that you're not only coping with one specific hazard, right? But you're coping with tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes or even pandemics like with the COVID-19. And every time it's something very different. So you gotta be very adaptable as a character. So sometimes imagine this superpower guy that, you know, doesn't only have one superpower like could be with Spider-Man or Superman, but needs to find new skills and um, thinking processes just every time you're facing a new hazard. And that kind of makes it like the Marvel universe where, you know, every time you're facing a new enemy, a new villain, you gotta use different things. The, the same strategy never works twice, right? And this is kind of the same thing. And on top of that, when, when you also put the cultural context or the religion of the countries that you're going in, that makes it even more challenging, but also more motivating and exciting for me because you can only think about the hazard, but you also got to think about what people think about the hazard or what is the history, what is the, the religion and the common beliefs. And you got to take that into account for your strategy. Yeah, so you talk a lot about hazards and disasters. Um, what exactly is your job about, just to make it simple, because I think I have to understand um, what you're doing, actually. Yeah, so as Luni said earlier, my um, title is technically Disaster Risk Management Specialist, and it's very hard to explain every time I gotta tell it, even to a friend, because it's a very broad discipline where basically it can behave, you can operate either before a disaster and that is everything that has got to do with prevention and mitigation, namely all of the actions that you undertake before something happens, knowing that you can mitigate the, the impact. And then there's the 
the second hand phase, which is after a disaster, that's called response, which is what you do right, right after a catastrophe, for example, the search and rescue, saving lives, uh, food and shelter for displaced people. Um, and then it goes over time with recovery and reconstruction, and those are more long-term and can take up to years uh, to fill the process. So right now, I'm in the beforehand phase, um, which is the mitigation phase, because we know that in Istanbul, there's gonna be a powerful earthquake uh, that's gonna strike the city real soon, and soon could be any time between tomorrow and 20 years from today, because we're still talking about, you know, a big um, movements of the tectonic plates. Um, but seismologists have been predicting that this earthquake is going to happen. So we have this scenario where we know the magnitude of this earthquake and what the impact on the city is going to be. And we're basically trying to identify solutions for saving lives, um, providing needs for the people who are going to be displaced and affected, but also to recover for the economy because Turkey is already in an economic recession. Uh, so that's also another aspect that cannot be neglected. That is, um, that seems very relevant. Actually, I have not, um, I was not aware of such a huge risk so close by and um, I'm amazed about the work you're doing. Well, but I want to come back to the dream once more because how did you get in contact or in, in yeah, how did you figure out that you want to work with disasters? Um, that was almost entirely by chance because um, after I finished high school, I was entirely lost on what my career path would be. And I was about to start a faculty in economics or something else that I really didn't care about. Then just by chance, I discovered about a new program that was just created in Rome, whose name was Global Governance. And people, like nobody had any clue about what that was because I was the, basically the first batch ever existing in that program. And we used to study everything ranging from law to economics, to human rights, to environmental science. And the first year, the very first year where this class on uh, natural disasters, prevention and reaction. And I was like, mm, that, that sounds interesting. So we started the first day and there, there's this professor coming from Turkey uh, who had 20 years of experience working with the World Bank and the UN agencies. And he told us about this word of natural hazards and what you can do to make, mitigate the impact. And I just remember, I, I just fell in love with, with that subject. But the problem was that that was only the first year. So then I had to study two additional years, my bachelor, knowing that I really decided what my interest would be. So I had to study about mathematics and law, which was still useful. I mean, because everything also in this discipline comes back together. It's very like the journey, you know, systemic thinking and interdisciplinary uh, thinking. And interestingly enough, this professor that shed light over my future path today is my boss <laughs> at the NDP. Um, and he's the person I got in touch with as soon as I finished my master's. And likely he, he was just creating a new team. So we, we had been in touch over the previous few years and he just invited me over to Turkey. So now we're working together. Amazing. And also that you really, it seems for me quite brave that you, you got into something with a lot of uncertainties, but you were sure that it will go in the right direction. Actually, we would like to get to know a little bit more about your person values. I mean, we, we hear a lot about it beneath the lines and about what you have told, but I will give you a pair of two words and you can choose among those two words. Mm -hmm. All right. So the first one is trust or control? Uh, trust. No-brainer. <laughs> Do I need to elaborate on that? 
you can. All right, enough. To me, is I'm very, I'm very much about um, instinct. I, I, I often follow my instinct, and when you follow your instincts, it means that you gotta trust either yourself or others. And I've never been a controlling person because I feel that if you spend too much time controlling things, you're gonna, you're not gonna enjoy your life, basically. So I just. As much as it can be challenging or risky, I, I, I think it's just much more enjoyable to give up your control and rely on, on whatever is going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah, that is a good picture also because you would maybe never be able to control everything. The next pair is humor or seriousness. Humor. Freedom or security. Freedom. <laughs> Adventure or safety. Adventure. Is that due to your adventurous sports? Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to do with many aspects of my life, but mainly, yeah, I would say the sports and the traveling. I really enjoy like traveling, but by exploring places where possibly nobody has ever been before, uh, which is nearly impossible today. But it just, I think it, it gives you that exciting vibe that few things are able to do in 2020. Wonderful. And the last pair, innovative or conservative? Innovative. Yeah, I think I was. I'm. A, I'm an open book on those on those pairs because, um, yeah, I've always grown up thinking about those values, and that was also thanks to my family. But always going for something new, something exciting, and and be open-minded basically to to accept everything that that's out there. That is super exciting, and that's why I will give the word to Leonie to dig deeper about your process of entrepreneurship. Thank you, Leah. Yeah, I just want to comment that I think uh, hearing about these values, it's very interesting to 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 know what kind of values uh, entrepreneurs have. And you're pretty much a, a picture of an entrepreneur to be open-minded, adventurous, uh, innovative. So um, very interesting. But now we have talked a lot about you. And I think you also want to uh, talk a bit more about the initiative uh, you founded and um, the idea, what's behind it, et cetera, et cetera. So before in the preparations, um, you said you wanted to talk about a topic called community environmental activism. And uh, before we start to talking about the practical example of Oster Cleanup, maybe you can give us a short introduction to this topic. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Lini. So it's, it's still makes me laugh sometimes when people refer to me as an entrepreneur because the way the whole Ostekina project was born was anything but you know uh, an idea that I was cherishing to make it an entrepreneurship but it was something entirely spontaneous and that made me wonder a lot about this word of community activism related to environmental projects because nowadays we see a lot of groups from Extinction Rebellion, Fridays for Future that are out there demanding our governments and politicians to take new policies to cut down carbon emissions or bring new environmental policies. And I think that's very much necessary for saving the planet. But at the same time, I always believe that if there's not a change from the bottom and from within the hearts of the people, we're never going to save the world because even though the policies are going to change, if people's behavior is not going to change, then nothing is going to change. Uh, so that's why with this idea in mind, I've been trying to talk to people as much as I could to show them what my path has been in my transition towards a more ecological, greener life and try to plant that seed in these people's soul in a way that they would also undertake that transition. Because if everybody was going to go through that transition, that maybe, you know, we, we wouldn't need as much those changes in the policy level from the politicians because 
that can be also very frustrating, just sitting out there of a parliament waiting for someone to do something. And again, I repeat that something that is very much necessary and what, what Greta Thunberg did show that it is an immensely powerful way to change things. But at the same time, in my experience, knowing my friends, what they're used to in terms of transports, food, uh, consum consumption, either they feel that push from within or they're not gonna undertake that effort. And uh, as you were talking about planting the seed, you have uh, started with this uh, project Ostia Klima, um, mm -hmm. and we want to know more about that one and yeah, how you how this looked like uh, in practical terms. Um, and therefore, we would like to have a storytelling experiment. So uh, we want you to tell us uh, what your project is about and how it evolved, and we will give you the time to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, some words that you have to include to the story that we will now post into the chat. Um, but I will also read it out for our listeners. So we have six words. Uh, the first one is inspiration. The second is team. Then we have challenges. Four is the turning point. Five achievements and six learnings. So uh, you can talk about your project uh, around like three minutes and you need to include all of these points and if you can in order. <laughs> so the floor is yours. Challenge accepted. Press one out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, the Ostekina project was born in the, I would say in the fall of 2018 when I was living in Indonesia and at the time I was there working with tsunamis and at the same time, we were doing some beach cleanups um, in the beaches of Sumatra that is over flooded by plastics of any kind. So that gave me the inspiration to do something similar upon my return to Italy. Um, so when I came back to Rome, I joined with a team of friends. We were three people at the beginning and we decided to face the many challenges that were in our neighborhood because even if it's not as bad as Indonesia, even in Rome and the beach, over winter time especially it's flooded by by trash and garbage and so that was a turning point for us because we decided that we had to do something about it rather than complaining with the municipality so we went out there we bought just a few trash pickers uh, gloves trash bags and we just started collecting things and then many people started to join us so the first time we were just a few people the second time we were 40 people and the third time there were more than 100 people and those were our first achievements because we never expected something like that to happen. So we got very excited and we decided to expand the project further. And over time, we, we had additional challenges, but that gave us new learnings to, to take from and adapt our ways in a new innovative solutions that were not there before. So, so I think I used all of the words. <laughs> I was more focused on the, on the words, but yeah, that's pretty much our story. And eventually, we decided that from cleanups, we wanted to expand our activities to something else. So the team got even larger. And again, to go back to that sort of seed planting, we decided to go into the schools of our neighborhood and to hold some environmental workshops with the youth and with children, because we, we think that's the source of the problem, not the source of the problem, but the source of the solution. Because if you change a, a child's mindset, then you can change everything. So we, start, we started doing that and I don't know, from there things just escalated very quickly and today Ostekina looks entirely different from the way it started. And I read you also got institutionalized uh, recently, right? 
exactly. So that, that's just a brand new achievement from 10 days ago, because so far we were only an informal group. We were only a name, a Facebook and an Instagram page, nothing more. But then we, we realized that if we wanted to do more, then we had to, to get a legal status. Uh, so yeah, just 10 days ago, I went to the tax agency and then we finally registered Oste Cleanup as an organization, a uh, volunteering organization. So now we have a tax number and we're, this is really a game changer because it, it, it enables a number of actions that we couldn't do before, ranging from grants, partnerships, or even just activities that we can do in the district. Congratulations. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> And um, I was wondering if there were any difficulties that you have to, to had to face during this process. So the whole process of setting up this initiative. Yeah. Um, so to be honest with you, at the beginning, the process was very smooth just because, as I said, it was spontaneous. We, we were not out there trying to convince people to come over. It was the other way around. Like we were out there on our own and then people just joined at the cleanup and that was unexpected. So that gave us the motivation to face the challenges that Show, their, show themselves on, the, on our way further along the path. And those challenges included, for example, finding agreements with the municipality or with the local waste company. Because for example, every time we finish a cleanup, we have hundreds of kilograms of, of trash sitting there that we collected. And you would think, oh, well, good job, now it's over. But then actually the hardest part comes in because you need to dispose of the trash and especially make sure that that trash is disposed of properly because we always try to sort the waste according to plastic, unsortable waste, uh, glass, and so on. So it's very hard in Rome to get, to, to get along with institutional procedures and bureaucratic um, procedures. So I spent days calling the waste company, trying to get an agreement, and eventually I found a contact person that would come over but that's something that we still need to institutionalize more and more. And now that we have a legal status, we can do that. But I would say that that has been the main challenge so far. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I heard from a friend who was applying for, for something bureaucratic in Italy and it took months. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah, it took forever. Yeah. But nice, you're on it. And did you, did you start something similar in, in Istanbul or is there any cleanup in Istanbul as well? So, of course, the moment I got to Istanbul, I was like, well, now I got to do the same over here. Uh, but then, of course, it's much more challenging for a huge uh, language barrier and also sort of cultural barrier because I'm still a foreigner in, in the country. Uh, but at the same time, I managed to get in touch with different groups of people. Uh, and there's uh, one group called Tidy Turkey that is operating in Istanbul. And they operate uh, cleanups here and there. And also Turkey, they have a huge problem because they have a few islands, for example, out of Istanbul. They're still part of Istanbul, but they're offshore and they're called the Princess Island. And I was there once and just walking around the island, you, you know, there's the incredible amount of trash everywhere. So this group is organizing cleanups. Um, but then I wanted to do something also on my own because maybe I have, I don't know, this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial urge to do something. And I, I got a good network actually of like-minded people that could help me out and do something similar. Uh, and there is um, a social entrepreneurship hub that is global, it's called Impact Up. And I used to go there in Istanbul and together with those people that were involved in different projects on gender, migration, social issues and everything. And of course, we're very prone to do something about the environment as well. We were organizing uh, workshops and then blogging 
sessions and plugging is just for the listeners is when you go running and then you pick up the waste that you, you find along your way. And we were just about to, to launch it, but then COVID happened. So we put everything on hold, but hopefully it's going to start again when I go back uh, this fall. Hopefully. Good luck with that. Um, yeah. Amazing story. I really like it that you that you go out to the world and plant a seed wherever you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very inspirational. And um, well, now that we've talked about the present, maybe let's talk a little bit about the future. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes. And let's start with uh, an utopian future because it would be too boring to talk about real case scenarios. So I would give you a, a if I would say that people suddenly would understand that polluting is bad worldwide and especially also in Italy and um, they all dispose their recycle uh, recycle their trash probably. Mm -hmm. What would be further goals of Ostia cleanup? All right. So it's utopian, but at the same time related to Ostia cleanup. So it's going to be some, somewhat achievable. No, but I get what you're saying. And so, for example, one thing that I often tell children when I'm holding an, a workshop with them is I don't want to show them pictures of turtles covered in plastics or whales dying because of, of plastics, but I want to show them the perks of having that green sustainable future that nobody is able to picture, right? Because it's something so utopian that it's, just, it's much easier to move somebody's according to the negative part rather than the positive one, because the negative is much more tangible and visible. But to me, the advantages and perks of that type of future that we're talking about are, it's just so much more inspiring because with Ostia Cleanup, I don't know if it's going to be exact with Ostia Cleanup because in the name there's Ostia, which is the name of the district where I live in Rome. So I think that this organization is still going to be tied to the to location. So I don't have dreams of scaling it up to a national level or something like that. But maybe something parallel to it, I would love to see a future where in the country, you know, people are just happier because of a sustainable lifestyle. And I recently read this book called The Nature Fix from Florence Williams. And in the book, she's talking about research she's done showing what is the positive impact of nature on human beings. And that goes for health, creativity, happiness, just in general, connections you can, you can establish, spirituality. And when you read that book, you realize that life would be just so much better if we were living submerged in nature, with nature, for nature, rather than trying to control it. And that, of course, could start from just waste sorting. That is the tiny first step. But then you could scale it up to anything that concerns our way of living in a society. And if you were able to transform society according to those standards, then you wouldn't see the incredible number of societal rates among the teenagers or depression uh, among adults and alcoholism and all of that, because people just wouldn't feel the need of of not the need but like they wouldn't be so unhappy so that that is my dream so that was actually the vision of your project that you initiated the last thing you said it's not more about dream that but that's the vision that keeps you going on the project you're on if i understand that correctly well let, let's say at the moment with this vision is mostly a vision and and then i need to find maybe a project supporting and this this vision because with OC cleanup we want to focus on something much more tangible and concrete because 
people also need short-term achievements to feel motivated to do something. But then at the same time, maybe that's my new long-cherished dream that I could have had as a child, but just if I want to see a new version of this world and I have this vision, then the project needs to be as powerful and as scalable as the vision is, but I still haven't found what, what shape and form that has, so maybe for the future. <laughs> wonderful and applicable in another context and it's good to keep a vision in mind i mean a vision should never mm -hmm. be achievable yeah. in the first place and just you inspired us a lot with your talk but um, maybe you can give a personal advice for our listeners today what's one thing you wish you had known when you began your career um personally like on a more abstract level that everything is questionable Like, especially in, in these past few months, I'm reading a lot of books and watching a lot of documentaries that increasingly show me how everything that I thought it was true and unbreakable is actually very, very changeable and adaptable. And that goes for the societal standards that were thought of as children. And in a, another book I read, they call it as mother culture. Mother culture is everything that we hold as true beliefs, but then nobody actually ever proved that those are true. And I think that the moment you start to question those patterns and those standards of living, then you just find new ways. And that doesn't only have to do with environmentalism. It could be also with work uh, life, with love life, anything. And the moment you start wondering, well, is that true or not? Is this something that I need to follow no matter what? And you realize that you don't have to. Then you just discover that the life ahead of you is just a black canvas and you can paint and draw whatever you want and nobody can, can question you on that. And I think that's something extremely powerful because it allows you to boost your creativity and even to have incredible aspirations and ambitions that today's society, when you, when you talk to children, most times they're like, well, you know, I just want to find a job and get to the career. And then I get mad because I'm like, well, you know, life is so much more than that. So if someone had told me that earlier, probably I could have started this, this dreaming even earlier in life. And at that point, you can achieve much more. Yeah, wow. I think that was a very important advice, uh, especially here in Germany, where we really into structure and order. I would have wished that from my personal development as well, like that university taught me something like, okay, you can, you don't need all this structure, for example, just yeah. think uh, more freely, for example. Exactly. Thank you for that yeah. comment. Yeah. Well, Jordana, we have come to an end of this podcast, but I still have uh, one question for you, <laughs> or a little game, actually, to tease everyone listening to this podcast to listen also to the next episode, because uh, Jordana will now tell us two truths and one lie, and uh, we won't tell you right now which one is the lie, uh, but we will tell you in the next episode. All right, so these three situations, two of them are true, one is false. And they all have to do with me risking my life. So number one is, uh, I once was surfing in Australia and I got attacked by a shark and I, I managed to survive. Number two is, I was hiking on Mount Everest and I almost died because of a landslide. And number three is, I was traveling in Central America And I risked my life because I got appendicitis and I had a surgery in, in El Salvador. <laughs> I barely believe any of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of them are true. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, if you want to know which one uh, is the lie and which ones are the truth, you have to um, listen in to the next episode of this podcast. And I would like to thank you, Jordana, for being on this podcast and telling us so many of your inspirational stories. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you, really. And also thank you for the great questions, because whenever I even have to find an answer to those questions that I find myself to question, you know, about those things. And it makes it makes me wonder, which is something that I love. Definitely. Thank you also to all the listeners out there who listen to this podcast. We would appreciate your feedback through our social media channels. And if you want to be on the podcast, you can also get in touch and definitely get in touch with Giordano if you want to organize a beach cleanup. I'm sure he has some more good advice. <laughs> Anytime. Um, thank you to everyone. And now listen in to After the Jingle if you want to know about what was Sohan's live from the last episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. So, Soham, tell us now, what was the what was the truth and what was the lie? It's very obvious. I can't sing uh, for a penny. So, <laughs> it's definitely, that's definitely the lie. I did play Quidditch and I'm a lifetime child supporter. So, those th two things won't change anytime soon. And for people who play Quidditch, you should know that I'm a Slytherin. Uh, <laughs> <and> it's fun. <laughs> uh, and sing, I, I mean, uh, if, you, if you want to hear singing, I mean, I mean someone sing. Just contact Leonie. She's a great singer. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just that she couldn't teach me much, but it, it's great otherwise. <laughs> Another lie. Very interesting. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like two lies and two truths now. <laughs> <laughs>